time of worship. And that last song was particularly appropriate, wasn't it? It's good to be here once again, gathered together, isn't it? I hope you enjoyed your fellowship time last week and that it was fruitful and very meaningful for all of you. So, as a way of introduction, if you don't know me, my name's Beverly, or as most of you know, Bev Tiefel. I've lived in the Zionsville area for, oh, 35 years or so. I'm married to Jerry, and we've been married, oh, 40-plus years or so. Um, And we have three grown daughters with families who have, among them, have given us eight grandchildren with number nine on the way. So currently we have six boys and two girls, so we're sort of hoping this next one will be another boy, sort of even things out. We also have a son, and if you've been in habits in past years, you'll remember my son likes to coach me before I give a lecture. He's done things like show me videos and just critiqued my words, but this time I'm on my own. He's not home. He's flying the friendly skies right now. But he did tell me on the phone if he had been home, he would have been there critiquing my every word. So today, we're back to our lessons, and so we're looking at lesson four, which covers the first six verses of chapter three of Hebrews. If you haven't already noticed, one thing about this author is that he writes or he speaks very succinctly. He puts lots of meaning in a few words. So as I was preparing, I knew the topic for today, but I had forgotten that it was only six verses. So I thought, oh, it's only six verses. But as I prepared, I found that there's much to learn in these six verses. So let's pray before we dig in and study these words. Father, I just thank you for these words, for your word that you use to teach us and guide us. I I thank you for each woman who is here to study, to learn from you. I pray you bless our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Hebrews chapter 3, and I will read the scripture for today. It starts, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. 
So let's remember that the book of Hebrews is a letter written to a group of Christians who were struggling in their faith. So as a letter, it didn't have chapters and verses as we see today, but it was one continuous train of thought. So this letter was, an, you could say, an argument or a dissertation about why these Christians were to stay true to their faith in Christ. And I say all this to kind of set the context for chapter 3. So thinking about chapter 1, the author described that God gave us his Son. The Son is God, creator and sustainer of heaven and earth, and he fulfilled prophecy in coming to earth as a man. He continues in chapter 2 describing the humanity of Jesus, the fact he was made like his brothers, yet sacrificed himself for the sin of the world. So in order to begin with chapter 3, verse 1, we actually have to go back to chapter 2, because chapter 3 begins with, therefore. So, of course, we have to go back to see what the therefore is there for, right? So look back at chapter 2, verse 17. It says, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And not only that, but to make atonement for the sins of the people. That's who Jesus is, fully God, fully man. So now in chapter 3, when we come to therefore, therefore, because all that was said in chapter 2, verse 17 that Jesus was a merciful and faithful high priest and made atonement for sins, the author goes on to say, Therefore, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling. Remember when we were last together, Kathy taught us about this family relationship in Lesson 3. For those who have placed their faith in Christ, we are a family, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, children of God, adopted because Jesus became as one of us, a human. We are brothers with Christ. And not only brothers, but holy brothers. These Christians, because of their faith in Jesus, had been set apart. Have you thought about that? That if you've entered into faith in Christ, you too are a holy brother, that you're set apart? Our lesson does a good job covering this question of how one becomes holy. But think about that. Has that really penetrated your heart and your mind to really grasp that if you are in Christ, you are holy? And for those who were Jewish believers at the time, this had to be a completely new concept. Because for them, only the priests were considered holy. One author says it this way, For the Christian, holiness is both positional and practical. In Christ, our position before God is holy and without blame, as it says in Ephesians 1.4. Positional holiness because of Christ. We talked about this before with the chart on sanctification. We have a position with Christ as holy. Martin Luther called Jesus' work on the cross the great exchange. 
There, our unrighteousness went to Jesus, who suffered and died in our place. And Jesus' righteousness came to us. The result is that God now graciously sees us as he sees Jesus, righteous and holy. Practically, this means we're given new desires and are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out those desires in a holy life. Now, this doesn't mean we live without sin, as we know we're all prone to sin, aren't we? But rather that we can live in such a way that increasingly reflects the holiness of Jesus Christ and the effects of his blessing in our lives. Remember, sanctification is a lifelong process. So if in Christ, not only are we as the Hebrews brothers, but we're holy brothers, brothers with a heavenly calling, a calling from God to belong to his family, with a destiny not confined to the earthly realities, not just the here and now, but we have a glorious, future, a home in heaven with God, with Jesus, our brother. And we're called to look forward to the heavenly city described in the book of Revelation chapter 21, which is the dwelling place of God. And now here is the point in verse one, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Because Jesus became like us, suffered and died for our sins, and now calls us his holy brothers who share a heavenly calling. Why would anyone not consider Jesus? Considering Jesus is not just for the unbeliever, but for all believers to continue to do so. In chapter 2, we saw the first warning to these Hebrew Christians. It said, pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away. Do you think they had stopped considering Jesus? I like the phrasing in actually the Amplified Bible for consider. It says, thoughtfully and attentively consider. Or as the NIV says this phrase, fix your thoughts on. To ponder, give attention, mull over, Not just a quick fleeting thought, but over time, meditate upon. So in considering Jesus, let's look at the descriptors of him in this verse. It says he's our apostle and high priest of our confession. We've commonly used the term apostle to refer to the disciples or Paul, others who were sent or were messengers to share the gospel. But let's consider this term for Jesus, for he was the greatest apostle. Jesus was sent from God the Father and called himself a messenger. He says in John 13, 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And again in John 3.17, Jesus said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus was a messenger. Jesus was sent by the Father. Jesus is the final revelation from God. 
John Piper says high priest means one who is a go-between, who offers a sacrifice so that there can be reconciliation. So Jesus is our high priest. He's the go-between for us and the Father. And he's the final, once-for-all high priest of God, whose sacrifice of himself reconciled you to God and guarantees your homecoming to heaven. So these terms, apostle and high priest, would have been understood by both the Gentile believers who knew the term apostle and those believers who came from a Jewish background, high priest, as the authority before God. So now let's consider, fix our thoughts on, give thought and attention to Jesus. Again, John Piper said of this particular passage, he said, Consider this Jesus. Ponder him. Fix your eyes on him. If your mind is like a compass moving through a world of magnets, making it spin this way and that, make Jesus the north pole of your mental life that your mind comes back to again and again throughout the day. Through a world of magnets. If you're like me, my mind constantly flits from one idea to another. Lots of things going through. But think about focusing on Jesus. You know with a compass, the needle points north, right? And with, when it does that, then you can figure out what your other directions are. So think about making Jesus the north pole of your life the center of your universe. Focus on him, who he is, and what he's done to reconcile you to God the Father. And with that thought, that gives you proper direction for your life. Using Jesus as the standard, ask yourself, how does thinking in this way, as Jesus as your standard, affect your daily life, your daily decisions? your actions, your reactions, consider Jesus. So let's now look at actually the title of our lesson, Jesus Greater Than Moses. Again, those who were from a Jewish background at at the time of this writing would have taken these words very seriously as Moses was highly esteemed as the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. So let's do a little review of who Moses was. If you were with us last year in our study of the book of Deuteronomy, this will be review. However, there may be some of you who are not as familiar with Moses, and it never hurts to go back over scripture and important people again. So here's like the Reader's Digest version, right? In the book of Exodus, we read that Moses was born to a Hebrew family who were living in bondage in Egypt. An edict was pronounced by Pharaoh to kill the Hebrew baby boys as the Hebrews were becoming too numerous. Moses' mother hid him in a basket in the Nile River with his sister watching close by. The babies discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted Moses into her household. Moses was treated as a son and educated well, but it seems that he did not forget his Hebrew heritage. Even though he was privileged as a member of Pharaoh's household, he went out to see his Hebrew brothers one day and discovered an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. 
Moses killed the Egyptian and buried the body, but he was observed doing this. So when confronted by fellow Hebrews, Moses, now a murderer, ran for his life to a faraway desert country and lived the next 40 years as a shepherd of goats and sheep. But we know the Lord called Moses back to Egypt by using a burning bush to speak to him. He called him to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage. Moses protested he couldn't speak. Now think about this. The Lord had just commissioned him, spoke to him out of a burning bush, and he said, I can't talk. So the Lord gave him his brother Aaron to help him. So Moses did lead the Hebrews out of Egypt after many signs and miracles. But as his humanness would have it, he came before the Lord complaining and asking why he had to deal with these grumbling people. And when they whined and they grumbled once again about wanting water in the desert, Moses struck the rock when the Lord told Moses to speak to the rock. So because of his anger and his actions, Moses was then forbidden to enter the promised land. I said, this is really, if you're not familiar with this story, this is a great reading in the book of Exodus. And as I was saying all this, I thought, oh, it sounds like it could have been a movie. Oh, yeah, it was. But it's great reading. It just shows how God went before them and how Moses became a main character in God's story. So it's all truth. It's important for us to know. But think about Moses. We have Moses was a murderer. He was a grumbler. He was disobedient. But on the other hand, Moses did pen the first five books of Scripture, the Pentateuch, He met with the Lord on the mountain to receive the law, not once, but twice. Oh, yeah. Moses broke the first set of commandments written on the stone tablets after the people disobeyed. But then he also saw the glory of the Lord. And it was said his face shone with an unnatural glow as a result. And Moses was faithful in his duties and his service. The Moody Commentary states the following. Jesus' superiority to the great lawgiver Moses is presented in these verses in Hebrews. The two are compared for the following reasons. Moses was viewed by Jewish people as the greatest man in the Old Testament and most superior teacher of God's truth. He was an effective spokesman for God. The Pentateuch coming from his pen. Though not an official priest, On several occasions, he was one of Israel's most effective intercessors. So in Jewish life, Moses was the authority as a leader, a prophet, and an author. We read in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 2, it talks about this authority that was ascribed to Moses by the Jews. In these verses, Jesus speaking, he says, The experts in the law and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe what they tell you. Moses' seat was considered to be a position of authority, and that's what the Pharisees counted on, that they had that authority. With Moses leading the Hebrews out of Egypt, the Hebrew people became the nation of Israel. 
All Jewish children were taught the law of Moses and all about the feasts that were celebrated throughout the year to commemorate all that occurred with the nation of Israel. So this tradition and knowledge was totally ingrained into their being. And now they're told Jesus is better than Moses. This indoctrination or training can be seen throughout the New Testament, espoused by the Pharisees and other leaders. Jesus combated this opinion when these leaders refused to acknowledge him as Messiah. In John chapter 5, Jesus said to the Jews, he said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But you do not believe his writings. How much, how will you believe my words? And again in John 9, it says, And the Pharisees reviled the blind man, saying, You are Jesus' disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. We don't know where where this man comes from. And even credit was given to Moses for that which God did through him. In John 6, 32, again, Jesus said, I tell you the solemn truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread of heaven, but my father is giving you the true bread from heaven. So let's begin by looking at similarities of Jesus and Moses. Both were proclaimed to be faithful to God. Jesus was faithful to him whom appointed him, God the Father. And Moses was counted faithful in all of God's house. Both were servants of the Lord, ministering servants. Both spoke with authority as directed by the Lord God. Both served in intercessory roles. Moses pleading for the Israelite people to not be destroyed. And Jesus is our intercessor before God. However, even Moses knew that he was a servant to be used of God. But he wasn't the end result. As in Deuteronomy 18, Moses himself said, The Lord God will raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. The Lord will put his words in his mouth, and he shall speak all that the Lord commands him. And we know from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, that indeed that's what occurred with Jesus, as God has spoken to us by his Son. So now let's look at some of the contrasts or the differences between Moses and Jesus. Verse 3 says, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Looking back again at chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus achieved what the Levitical high priest failed to do. Jesus tasted death for everyone in order to pay the penalty for sins. Moses was still under the sacrificial system of the blood of goats and sheep. He had to offer sacrifices for his own sin while Jesus was sinless. Jesus guaranteed and mediated a better covenant 
the new covenant, which is salvation and forgiveness through faith in Christ. Moses was used by God to institute the law and the sacrificial system, the covenant at Mount Sinai, which required sacrifices for sin, but was never able to remove sin. The law and the sacrificial system pointed to the final sacrifice by Christ for sin. Moses led the Israelites out of bondage, the bondage of slavery to the Egyptians. Jesus provides a way out of the bondage of sin and death for all people who place their faith in him. Moses was called by the Lord God to lead the Israelite people and was also called a prophet. He penned the scripture through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the word and the king after the line of David and the final revelation of prophecy. Our passage says the builder of the house has more glory and honor than the house. While a house may be magnificent, it's not greater than the one who designed and built it. Jesus is the builder of the house as he is the creator of all things. Jesus is the creator while Moses is created by God and a member of the house, a part of the house. Verse 5 reads in the Amplified Bible, Now Moses was faithful in the administration of all God's house, but only as a ministering servant. A servant in a household may be a great asset. He may even run much of the daily life of the household, but he's not greater than the son or the heir who presides over the household. Moses was the servant, while Jesus is the son the heir of the house. The son has ownership over the house. He inherits the house and provides for the house. The servant serves the household and the master. Jesus obeyed the father perfectly, never disobeying, fulfilling the father's will at all times. We know that Moses wasn't obedient at all times in his life. But even though he wasn't, the Lord still called him faithful. Moses' ministry served as a testimony of the things which were to be spoken afterward, the revelation to come in Christ. Jesus Christ was the final word to be revealed in the last days. Moses pointed to Christ as God's answer to the sin problem. Now, Moses absolutely deserves honor for who he was and his service to the Lord. We don't want to take away from that. It's just that Jesus deserves more honor. Jesus, as the Son, is the builder of all things, including the house of God. Moses was a member of God's house, as we are. The church of Jesus Christ is the house of God today. Jesus is our maker, our ruler, our provider. He is the son, and we are the servants. If we are in Christ, we are of the household of God, right along with Moses. What a sobering thought. We're right there with a great man like Moses. The Hebrew Christians were to 
hold fast to their confidence and hope in Christ, knowing and understanding Christ's sacrifice for sin, the forgiveness of sin, and the promise of eternity. Now, no, this was confidence and boldness in their faith in Christ. This wasn't a weak, wishy-washy, oh, I hope I can. I hope I can hold fast. I hope I can persevere. But it was hope based on the content of Jesus and his promises, a concrete thing, the new covenant and freedom from the bondage of sin and sacrifices. This is what the author was encouraging these believers to know that because of their faith in Christ, they were to look ahead, not to the past, to meaningless rituals and things they used to do. The Phillips translation reads verse 6 like this, And we are members of this household if we maintain our trust and joyful hope steadfast to the end. Maintain our trust and joyful hope. Hold fast. Maintain. So, like these Hebrew Christians, can we do any less than to hold fast to Christ and the confidence we have in him? They were under persecution for their faith and encouraged to hold fast. And yet they were also encouraged to be bold in their faith. They weren't to cower and go hide. They were to express their faith. So ask yourself, as I'm asking myself, what's keeping me from being bold in my faith, knowing that my hope is built on Jesus? What's keeping me from sharing the good news of Jesus? We know that nothing we can do ourselves can bring us salvation. We only can trust in Jesus. So let us consider Jesus. Let us focus on Jesus. Think of him as that north pole of our compass. Keep him in mind as our direction finder and our constant in our home. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you that you are our trust and that we can hold fast to you because you are our Savior and our Redeemer. I just thank you for these words that this author penned so many years ago that we can still reflect upon and learn from. I just thank you for our time, and I pray for the remaining time in the groups that it will be fruitful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.